So we're going chapter by chapter through Isaiah. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in chapter 43. We are in chapter 43. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this chapter, which has, says so much about how much you love us and how much you want to use us and what an adventure and excitement it is, Lord, to be in Christ, to be the people that you've called us to be, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. The setting here is Israel is in a a season of great chastisement and discipline. They have been exiled from Israel to a place that was 900 miles away in Babylon. They've been dragged away. Isaiah, interestingly, lived about 150 years before the time, and he's literally giving a prophecy to a people who lived in the future. And, you know, we grow up with a very twisted view of the Lord. You know, what, what does our relationship with the Lord look like when we're in a season of discipline and chastisement? Well, they were being chastised and disciplined for literally generations, having sort of rejected God, chased after other gods, you know, created idols out of their basis part of their nature, their cravings, their lusts, you know. That's what idols really are. It's, it's idol is just forming a god out of our baser nature. It's just, I tell, I tell the guys on a regular basis, a porn site is no different than an ancient pagan temple. You're just going into a a, a pagan temple where there are demons. <laughs> That's what it is. Israel had been chasing after, g- g- going after those pagan, those ancient pagan temples where they had, you know, had sex with priestesses, ritualized sexual activity, the Baal, the god of fertility. That's how they worshipped by by doing these types of things. Generations. Finally, the Lord said, "Okay." I need to chastise these people because I love them. Out of mercy, I need to chastise them and discipline them. So he takes them to this place 900 miles away. Now, the Israelites, they love Jerusalem. They love Jerusalem. One of the Psalms says, Psalms says that we hung our harps on the willows and we wept. 
meaning they just, they could no longer sing. The, uh, the Jews have always been these, this people who just sang and they had a great time. Anyone ever been to a Jewish wedding? Anyone? I mean, there's like fantastic, uh, you know, places uh, to go to. They have the reputation for that because, but they, they were so upset that they had been banished from their land. And so they're in a season of chastisement and the Lord tells them this through Isaiah verse 1. Thus says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. So God is going to establish a foundation with them in this chapter. And at the very base of the foundation is, is you need to remember, I created you. I formed you. When you're in a season of big time discouragement and you're, when you're in a season of, of depression or feeling alienated from God, this is what you need to hear, God's word. I formed you. Let's just, let's just start off with that, the Lord is telling them. I formed you. I created you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. So they're in this land of Babylon and there is a whole lot to fear about. Fear of their future. Fear whether they're ever going to see their land again. There's fear because, you know, there are periods in, the, in Babylon as we learn from Esther and otherwise where the Jews would just be attacked by their neighbors. They were in a hostile place. You know, the the the... The persecution of Jews didn't start in the 1930s. Any history major will tell you throughout history, right through um, the Middle Ages, over and over and over, uh, the Jews were persecuted, and it, it goes back well below, before the time of Christ. In Babylon, they were persecuted. And he's saying, so there's a lot to fear. Fear not, for I have redeemed you I have called you by your name you are mine now in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 there's a very famous verse we remind ourselves of it often it says this the joy of the Lord is your strength now the context of that particular statement is was actually when they had returned to Babylon Return from Babylon to Jerusalem. In other words, after sort of this period that the Israelites are in, in which Isaiah is talking to, talking to them in, they had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, and they've read it, dedicated the temple, and they've read the law out loud. Out loud and Nehemiah tells them, "Now go and 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 enjoy." Choice foods, sweet drinks. Uh, I'm reading from uh, Nehemiah chapter eight. He's saying, uh, "This day is holy to your to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." And and they were in a lot of conflict and danger there. Remember Tobiah, uh, Tobias and Sambalat. You know they're constantly. Uh, coming against the Jews as they were trying to re rebuild Jerusalem after it had been wiped out because of God's judgment and chastisement. And it was at that time that, they, that Nehemiah told them, the joy of the, the Lord is your strength. Well, why do you think Satan goes after your joy? Answer? 
What? It's your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Why does Satan go after your joy? It's your strength. I mean, we've all heard the, 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 the Spurgeon story that, you know, Satan had a yard sale and he sold everything except for the shovel of discouragement and said he had a do not, not for sale sign on it. Why aren't you selling that, Satan? Because it's all I need. That's what Satan said. Satan wants to steal our joy. When I have no joy, it's difficult for me to be a pastor, a father, a husband. Oh, does Satan go after my joy? He goes after your joy. Now, what's the number one joy killer? What's in verse 1 there, right in the middle? What word? A four-letter word. Fear. Fear will completely rob you of your joy. Fear that a relationship you're in is going to fail. Fear that your, 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 your job, you're going to lose it. Fear that your boss hates your guts. Fear that you're not going to get a promotion. Fear that, that um, uh, you know, uh, you, uh, your living situation. Fear of your life. Fear of the sickness that you're in and what's going to happen. It will rob you, steal your joy away. And what's, again... What's going to go with your joy? Your, your strength. Fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. And you are mine. So the number one basis that we have. He's, he's, he's going to tell him in this chapter... Among other things, he's going to tell them what's the basis that they don't have to fear. Number one is that they are the Lord's. The number one reason that you have, the number one basis that you have to not fear. The whole world lives in fear. Why shouldn't we fear as well? Because we are the Lord's. Fear not for you are Mine. Now, he's going to give some other reasons, too. But supremely, uh, that, is, that is the basis. That's the reason. There's a reason. We actually have a good reason why we need not feel. We are the Lord's. He, it says in the beginning of verse 1, formed us. He created us. He's taken responsibility for us. He, uh, and, and it says that fear not... For I redeemed you. In other words, they were in Egypt, they were in slavery, and look at your history, Israel, and what I did to bring you out of Egypt. I I created hell on earth for the Egyptians. We'll we'll read about later. I gave Egypt as your ransom. I, 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 the Lord literally had to destroy the most powerful nation on the face of the earth so that he could get them and gather them and take them out. Do you think I'm going to do all that just so you can perish because of whatever your fears are? 
And he's going to go on to say, the reason you're in the situation you are now is because your sin. But, but you've repented. Remember, we've talked about that as we've gone through the last few chapters. We're speaking to a people who are being chastised, but they're now, they've repented. Their hearts are open to the Lord. They want to follow the Lord. Although it wasn't always the case. But he's, he's, he's speaking to a people to encouragement. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. When you are following the Lord, a lot of times, there'll be waters that you know, uh, it's just going to seem like they, they, they are, they are overwhelming you. Um, and, and you'll, you'll, he'll have you walk through the fire and you'll do it in such a way that you will not be burned. Jesus, when he, he sent the disciples, I, I mean, when he was sending the disciples out in Mark chapter 16, he said, you know, snakes will latch onto you and you can, like, throw them off. You'll drink uh, poison and it will not, uh, it will not harm you. And, and man, when, when Sam and I were in just north of Vietnam there in that province and I was eating some of that food with, and was looking at it and f- prepared in front of me and there's, like, blood and flies and the most unsanitary stuff and it was being s- it, it was stuck in front of me. I was quoting that verse. <laughs> Lord, you said, I, I was serious with him. I said, you said when I drink poison, and that looks like poison to me, <laughs> that it's not going to harm me. I, 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 um, when I shared that a few weeks ago, I know people were grossed out, but um, when I shared it, but um, nothing, I, I was fine. You know, I, I won't have a further description than that, but... Um, <laughs> I really was, was fine. And so, number one reason not to fear is you are the Lord's. He created you. He formed you. You know, sometimes it's just good to get in your Bible study and sit back and remember God created you. It's a very simple, elementary thing. Just, just reflecting upon that. But we forget such... Basic things like that. Yeah, I, I can walk in with the Lord for 23 years. A, a verse like this will all of a sudden in devotion time. It's like, of course, you created me. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. In other words, he was willing to trash the most Powerful country in the world for them. Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Remember that Ethiopian army that attacked King Asa? Anyone remember how many soldiers there were? Kirk, you, I, you've been... Kirk, man, you were like two for two tonight. One million soldiers. Remember that? King Asa, it's like, you got one million soldiers coming against me. And God just destroyed them. He put them into confusion. And he's telling them, did I do all of this, save you all these times, preserve you as a nation just for you to perish now? And he's telling 
you hear tonight the exact same thing. If you have a heart open to serving the Lord and following him, he's saying, this long history I have with you, I redeemed you, I brought you out of this after that. Look, I don't know all your history, but I know if we sat down, there would be a long list of things that the Lord has saved you from and brought you. Did he do all that just for you now and sort of just perish and leave you by the wayside? No. And that is, that's his point here. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, for, for since you were precious in my sight. So why did he save them from Ethiopia, from the Egyptians? Because they were slaves. In fact, why did he create them in the first place? Why? But what does that verse say? He was precious. They were precious. They were precious in his sight. You know, this is the this is one of the primary battles of the Christian life is coming to the realization that you are precious in God's sight. I mean, we just don't believe it. On last Sunday morning um, in, in Haiti, I talk, taught through the Song of Solomon, and I, I just, it's just one of the best pictures in the Bible. The first chapter in the Song of Solomon, there's the king, there's his betrothed or his wife, um, basically having a dialogue throughout the book. And uh, in the very first chapter, the woman uh, says, don't look upon me. Look away from me. She said, I'm dark. My brothers were angry at me. They made me a keeper of the vineyard. I've been out in the sun. I've been uh, scorched. But then she says, but my own vineyard I have not kept. In other words, my own body. I, just don't look at me. I'm ugly. Don't look at me. And remember, husband and wife, always a picture of who? Christ in the church and Christ actually in you. And so what does he do? How does he respond to that? In three long description, in the most embarrassing detail, it's not easy to teach from the Song of Solomon. You know, you have two breasts like, the, the two fawns in the meadow, and then he just keeps on repeating that, and and he's talking about all of these fruit that he's grabbing, and and, and it, you know he, he he goes on and on and on about how beautiful she was in his eyes, and and uh, he has to repeat it three different times, in, in, in you know in different ways, and finally, in the middle and the end of the book, she says what? She says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. It took her a long time to get to that place. It takes us a long time. Why do we emphasize until we're blue in the face reading the word of God? It's because we don't believe that God loves us. And this is God's love letter to us. And it's when we really understand, we can say in our hearts, Lord, I am yours. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Man, when we get to that point, we're on the home stretch with the Lord. And it'll sort of be a battle to, to the day we die. But, but, but 
when we understand verse 4, Isaiah 43, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Do you guys really believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you? I, have, I struggle with that myself. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not. Here's the second reason. First reason, you don't have to fear because you are God's. But here's a, the second reason he gives. For I am with you. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? I will be with you to the ends of, is it the earth or the ages? The ages, I think. And then in Hebrews 13, he said the same thing. I will never leave you or forsake you, it says that Jesus says. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. I have too many Bibles. I brought the wrong Bible. It's just, I get it. That's not good like to throw out a Bible. I should, even though it has tons of notes, I probably should give it to someone else. I don't know, but I brought the wrong Bible tonight. <laughs> I, I brought this new Bible where the font is nice and big, and I'm like, e, and I don't see some of my notes. But um, there in Babylon, 900 miles away uh, from, from where they had lived, and the Lord is telling them, I will bring your descendants from the east so th- and gather them from the west, and I'll say to the north, give them up. Meaning, I'm going to bring you and your sons back to Israel. Now, that is just a ridiculous statement on the part of the Lord. I mean, but he makes ridiculous statements sometimes, doesn't he? I mean, if you were in Babylon, this would have been the most absurd thing. I mean, you know, we're not in high-speed trains at this time. There's, there's no jets. There's, and it's, you know, it's not like Star Trek, you know. Let's just beam them up, Scotty, or beam them there, you know. And, and just, just, this is just such a, uh, an incredible promise. I am going to have you return, of course, this is what happened. They were exiled for 70 years and, and they were brought back. Not all of them, many people did stay in Babylon actually because they loved the wealth more than they loved the Lord. But, but um, it, it actually um, uh, happened. And it says, And everyone called my name whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So notice that he continues to remind them. Just, just let me remind you again and again, I created you. The Bible says that every Christian needs to be born from above, created from above, born again. I gave birth to you. I am going to do a work through you. I know you have really messed up really, really bad, but I didn't 
ransom you. The Bible says that Jesus paid the ransom for us. I didn't give my son for you just for 10 years into your faith, five years into your faith, one year into your faith, however long you all are, 20 years, 30 years. I want to ask for a showing of hands. You may show your age there. But for you just to perish. I ransom you. So here he says, I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia, but he, gave, he actually gave his son as a ransom for us. And, and, and he, he's, he's not, uh, he's saying the same thing for, uh, to us today. Verse 8, bring out the blind people. Now, here he's speaking about the Gentile nations who are blinded, the, the people who are not the people of God. Bring out the blind people who have eyes, the deaf people who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people uh, be assembled. Who among them can declare this? Declare what? That their God formed them, created them, saved them from a a, a nation like Egypt, saved them from a million-person army. He's saying, who among the nations around you can say this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. They're not going to be able to. Remember when uh, a few chapters back, the, the whole story of Assyria from the north coming through Judah, wiping out every other nation and uh, coming up to the door of Jerusalem and saying, all the other gods said the same thing, that they were going to be saved. And look what happened to all of them. Don't believe your king, Hezekiah, or your prophet Isaiah, that that God's going to save you. And so, you know, in a sense, there was one sense in which he was right. There was no other God that saved their people. And and what Isaiah is saying here is, bring out the nations and, and let them be a witness. Can any of them say the same thing that I am saying to you now? that I form you, that I created you, that I redeem you, that I saved you. You know, I literally humbled the most powerful nation on earth just so I could uh, save you from slavery. Can any other, is there any other religion which says that, 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 that God came to earth and died as a ransom and, and tasted hell and, and, and judgment for us in order to redeem us? Answer, no. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Now, I don't like to spend a whole lot of time on these issues, but on on Sunday night I like to just point out these verses. If you're ever talking to a Mormon who believes that, that, that at one point they can sort of evolve and be a God someday, this is the verse I quote for them. Verse 10 of chapter 43, where it says, Before me there was no God form, nor shall there be after me. You can't 
and this is what I quote to Mormons who, who believe actually they themselves, if they're really, really, really good Mormons, someday they can be a god with their own world worshiping uh, them. Sounds crazy, but that's what they believe. This says, before me there was no god form, nor shall there be after me. There's, that's just superstition. It's a man-made uh, belief. And, and, you know, this is what the Lord has to say about that. Verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord. Besides me, there is no other. There is no other. There, rather, there is no Savior. I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. So you are my witnesses that I am God. Now, I really like this chapter because it does discuss at least actually four or five reasons that God uh, formed us, created us, brought us into being. You know, we we, you, you get this question from time to time. Why did God create us? Why did God create anyone? Well, there's four different answers in, in this chapter. The first one, so this whole chapter is, is about, you know, God begins. He says, I created you, o Jacob. I formed you. So why? Why? Why did you, Lord? Verse 7 says this. I created you for my glory. So, so number one, God created you to glorify his name. To glorify his name. The Westminster Confession says the, the, reason, God, for the reason for our existence is that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think there's a couple other things. I don't want to argue with the Westminster Confession, but that, you know, that we were created to glorify God, bring him glory. And, that, and what does that mean? That means that when the Lord, when people look at our lives, they look at God. It directs them to God, it, you know, supremely out, you know, in the world. Uh, men and, with the exp- and women with the expression of their lives what they express is directing people to point or look towards them. When you glorify God, you are, the expression of your life directs people to look or point at God. That's what glorifying God means. In First Peter, it says that though they call you evil, they will look at your works and glorify God in the day of his visitation. That, that's, what, that's what it means to glorify God. You know, we went to um, a, a Boston Pops. Uh, Steffi and I went to a, a were invited to a, a, someone gave us tickets to join them with the Boston Pops on, on, on Saturday night, or was it Friday night? Friday night. And, uh, you know, it was wonderful. Musically, it was just outstanding. But there were, you know, but the problem was is that there were were singers there and sort of the lyrics that were chosen and the actual singing, it was all about man. 
and you know, I totally respected the music, and you know, I, 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 you know, I think when we're in situations like that, we need to be gracious. We need to to applaud. Uh, you know, as, assuming that you know they're not going completely over the top, and uh, but but you know, we need to applaud. We need to be gracious. We need to th- to tell people, wow, you know that. You know, that was one, you're a wonderful singer. But it was all about man, bringing glory to man. The thing I love about, for example, Handel's Messiah, the whole thing is scripture pointing to God. The whole thing. Why were we created? For my glory, verse 7 says. Verse 10 gives another reason. You are my witness. So in other words, we are created to be a witness for God. And it really means a a very similar thing, is that when God looks at our life and also our words, it is a demonstration of the truth of God. Now, in verses 8 and 9, he said, let the witnesses from the world come together and present their case and try to present a case that, that um, their gods or their lifestyle or their philosophy has done the same thing I have done for you. They'll never be able to do it, but you are my witnesses. I've created you to be a witness for me that I'm true, that my word is true, that I'm faithful, that my character is what the Bible says it is. So we were created to be God's witness. But then I love this in verse 10. It says we were, it says, and and it says, and, and you are my witness. And number two, you are my servant. We're created to glorify God. We're created to be a witness for God, but we're created to be his servant, to serve him, to bless him to bless his heart, to serve him in his purposes. But then it goes on in the same verse. There's another reason we were formed. There was another reason he created us. It says, that you may know me and believe in me, which are sort of two different things. But, but you know, is that awesome or what? God created us so that we can know him. And I believe this is the same word here in, in Hebrew where it says Adam knew Eve and created Cain. And Cain came first. In other words, it's that intimacy with God. Intimacy. I created you so that you may know me. So the world runs around without a purpose. Many people in the church don't know the purpose in their life. To glorify him, to be his witness, to, to be his servant, and just very simple to know him. But then it also says, and believe in him. God didn't create us just to be, you know, walking around, bowing our heads in, in, in doubt, even though we do go through those seasons. He says, I created you to, for just, very simple, this very simple purpose. Very, it doesn't get any simpler than this. Just that you'll believe in me. But then it says this as well. And understand that I am he, verse 10. I created you so you'll understand that I am he. Who is he? 
That's what we read the Bible um, and, 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 and we discover. He, we've already read he's the Savior, he's the Redeemer, but also his character. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He's he. He's, Je- he's Je- Je- Jehovah Shalom, our, our peace. He is he. He, he. he is El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. Just that we would understand that he that God is he, meaning who he is. That's why he created us. That we would know him, believe him, and understand that he is he. He's God. He is who he said he is. It's a very basic understanding. And yet how, how often are Christians asked, so why did God create you anyway? Well, and they don't know what to, how, how to answer. And some of it is so incredibly basic. That you know him, believe him, and understand that he's God. To glorify his name. You're a servant. You're his witness. Before me there was, an, again, rather, okay, so... Let's just pick up in, in verse 13. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. So when Jesus says, before Abraham, I am, they started to pick up stones to, rot, throw, you know, to, to kill him because they're so insulted that he was putting himself uh, on the same plane as God. They knew this verse here, that God, only God can say something like that. Only God can say, verse 13, indeed, before the day was, I am he. In other words, I am before there was time. I am. I've always been that way. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? So that one's on my, the doorpost of my bedroom. I work, and who will reverse it? So once God starts to work... It's just impossible. You, no one's going to be able to reverse it. That includes in your life, but it also includes just a work that he's doing in, in, in this church, in a, a, a ministry, in, uh, you know, some, sometimes it, as, as far as the Israelites here, they're thinking, it's all over. I'm in Babylon 900 miles away. The, the, there's no temple anymore. There's no walls even in Jerusalem. They had been destroyed. And the Lord's saying, Look, I began a work with Israel. Who's going to reverse it? No one's going to. I work. Who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, verse 14, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. So he's, now he's saying something even more outrageous. Babylon, this incredibly powerful empire, he's going to say, I'm going to bring someone and they're just going to destroy all these people around you. The Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians, who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Remember what the, 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 in the Song of Solomon, the, 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 the girl, she was a worker, she was a farm girl, worked in the fields and she's trying to Wait a second, you're a king, I'm a servant girl. This doesn't make match here. There's something wrong with this picture. God says, 
I am, but I'm your king. Just as he did in the Song of Solomon to, to his wife or his betrothed. Verse 16, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished and are quenched like, like a wick. Do not remember the former things. See, this is half of our problem. Remember, remember the beginning of this, this chapter. Fear not. Most of the reason we fear, or a lot of the reason we fear, is we're just, we remember the past, damage that we've done to our own lives and to the lives of others. And, and that just creates sin, has a way, and once we're defiled by it, rather, it just has a way of stirring up fear, you know, in, a, in our hearts. And they were... They were chastised tremendously. They were disciplined. They were judged. But, but it was for a good reason. And the Lord's telling them, just don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself so that they shall declare, declare my praise. What's another reason you were formed and created? What was that? To declare his praise. To declare God's praise. You were formed. So now, man, the next time you're asked, why, why did God create you anyway? You, man, you're just going to be, people will run away from you. They'll get tired of your, you know, what's, I, I was just asking for a short answer. I mean, this guy is giving me a whole sermon. You were declared, you were formed and created by God. Not just Albert was created by God to, to, to give God his praise and worship. Everyone in this room. Actually, worship, as you know, is much more about music. It's your entire life. We're supposed to be giving God praise with our life, by the words of our mouth, by the expression with our hands, our feet. This people, verse 21, I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. It's also a prophecy. It's a prophetic word there that... Even though they're downtrodden now, they'll, 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 they'll reach the point again where they will, uh, they will praise him. Verse 22, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob. So um, there was still a good portion, if not most, some if not most in Babylon and Israel. Remember when, they, when we went through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah? Most of the Israelites did not return to Babylon. Why? Oh, man, they made the big bucks there. Ever hear the word commercial Babylon? Uh, there's a reason for that Babel, for that term, uh, that they, it was a very wealthy place, and some of the Jews went there and prospered exceedingly abundantly above how they had prospered in Israel. They didn't want to go back. And their faith in God became weary, or their became a religion, and the religion began to weary them. And it says, and this is really 
sad. This is a sad, sad verse. It says, but you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. Now, there is a season in our lives where, you know, it starts becoming weary. Serving the Lord becomes weary to us. Coming to church becomes wearisome. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us when that happens. And, and, and the Lord is going to get into this point. Verse 23, you have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You, you have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. There was a reason that they were wearied of God. It was their own rebellion in their life. It was their own sin. So many times, someone will come to me and, and they just have you know, issues um, with, with, with a lack of joy in their la- life, a lack of enjoyment of, the, uh, of God's people, a lack of you know, God moving in their life, and you begin to ask them questions, and sure enough, something comes up. They're, they're in sin. And, and the Lord says, you become weary of me because you are in sin. And so, we, again, the problem is with us. We're all subject to be getting weary. We're subject to that because we're, we're, we're our old nature. We're, we're in our old, old, old nature. We're in a body of flesh. But instead of pointing to God, the pointing the finger at Him, we need to expose our own heart to Him. And show me why, Lord. Verse 25, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Now, when there, where that says, I will not remember your sins. He's just pleading with the portion of the people who are, are sort of weary with them. It's amazing to me that God would come to people who say they're weary of them and be pleading with them like this, but that's a picture of his character here, his love for them. He says, look, I'm the one who blots out your transgressions, verse 25, for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. And I think that's also quoted in, uh, I think that's quoted in, in Hebrews um, as well as I will remember their sins no more. Meaning, he's not going to put them up in their face again. You know, when we love our wives, men, we're not bringing up things that they have done. 10 years ago, five years ago, or a week ago. Women, if you're loving your husbands, you're just not bringing up things that have happened in your past. That's just not the character of God. The Bible says husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church. Jesus doesn't remind us of our sins. I will not remember your sins. doesn't mean he doesn't 
he's not intellectually aware that they've done something in, in their past. It means they're a non-issue. Why? They've been blotted out. That's what the cross does. The cross, the blood of Christ, blots out our transgressions. And, and, and then the Hebrews, it says, and I will remember your sin no more. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. In other words, look, you're weary of me. State your c- case so that you, know, you can be acquitted, so that you can prove your inno- innocence. There's a little sarcasm here. You're not going to be able to do it. The issue is with us. When we weary of God and his people, it, the issue is with us. And so it, it says, 27, verse 27, your, your first father sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will prof- prof- profane the princes of the sanctuary. So God's going to remain uh, consistent to his character and he's going to continue the discipline with some of them if they're not turning back to them. He says, I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to the reproaches. So the, um, you know, God will be consistent to his characters. Those who re- return and repent, to, uh, repent and return to him, he has all these glorious promises, but just then a warning to those um, who will not. Now, in ch- chapter 44, what time is it? Eight? Eight? So I just want to go really quickly through chapter 44. And, and the main thing that I want to put, point out through chapter 44 is this is the Lord pleading with those who uh, sort of have not let go of their idolatry. And these are sort of a, a, a very well-known set of verses, verses 9 through 17, where he says, those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. And then he says in verse 12, and he, he's going to start painting an image of making a god. Verse 12, the blacksmith with the tongs works one, one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with uh, the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. So he's saying... Here's a blacksmith making a god, but then he's hungry and he has to go eat. Does that make any sense? That, that, that the person making the god gets hungry and has to go eat. End of verse 12. He drinks no water and is faint. Does this make any sense at all? Verse 13. This craftsman stretches out his rule, meaning a ruler or a, something to measure. He's making a god here. He's making a little idol. He marks one with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it with a compass. He makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among uh, the, the, the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, a pine and the rain nourishes it. So does it make any sense for you to cut down a tree and kill a tree in order to make a god for yourself? These things are, are, are finite. They, 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 you know, they're going to become worm food someday. They're, they're going to disintegrate into ashes, and, and you're making a, a god out of it. 
And then it says in verse 15, this is sort of a famous image, then it shall be for a man to burn, for he who takes some of it and warms himself, yes, kindles it and bakes bread, indeed he makes a god and worships it. In other words, with the very same wood that you're making a god with, someone else is making, using the wood to, to become warm with, to put in their fire and, and, and warm their house. Does this make any sense at all. Verse 16, he burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And, rest, and the rest of it, he makes into a god. So with one half of the log or whatever, he's using to warm himself. The rest of it, He's making into a god, verse 17, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. And, and you know, it's, it says in verse 18, they do not know or understand for, it has, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. God, Jesus quotes that same verse, you know, there, it reaches a point in a person's life where they're just given so over to rebellion and repeatedly, year after year after year after year, that God just gives them over to their own sin. And the Bible says that God will not strive forever. Um, he will not strive forever. And, and that's a really sad and dangerous place to be. The chapter ends, verse 24, returns to this wonderful message of hope. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. Think about that in your devotion time. He who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad. In other words, other pro- false prophets and stuff, he just frustrates why, uh, what they uh, try to do. Who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant. In other words, God will frustrate the false prophecy or the philosophy of the age, but verse 26, he will confirm the word of his servant and perform the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will uh, dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures. Now, who was Cyrus? Cyrus was the guy who 150 years after this was written, who was the guy who ordered Jerusalem to be rebuilt. In other words, he was going to be the king to basically allow the people in Babylon to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem. It says, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And again, it must have been an amazing encouragement, to say the least. If you're living in Babylon, you know about 
this king called uh, Cyrus. And um, by this time, was Cyrus, was he the head of the Medes and the Persians? the Babylonians. Yes, by this time the Medes and the Persians actually had defeated Babylon. And here you're reading this and, and, you're, and you're, you're thinking, wow, it says in this scroll, which is 150 to 200 years old, that this guy Cyrus, God is going to use him, even call him his shepherd, to give a decree that says to Jerusalem, you shall be built. Now, people who hate the Bible and the Word of God read this and say, obviously this was not written till after Cyrus came into being. <laughs> because how else would this person have known to write this? And we say, what? That's the whole point of prophecy. <laughs> That's the whole point. Just like Isaiah 53 d- describes in detail the death of Jesus. Just like Micah we read this morning describes how, where Jesus was, was going to be born. Just like Zechariah describes how, how he would be uh, crucified. That's the whole point. So, uh, and, and, and I just want to go back to the same thing Isaiah says in uh, chapter 43. You go out to other gods and, 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 or people of other gods to other nations you, and, and you other nations, you come in and you try to uh, present your case and try to convince anyone that your gods can do the same thing as this, as this, prophesy a couple hundred years in advance exactly what is going to be happening. The name of a king who hasn't even been born. And so the word of God, it is indeed uh, encouraging.